Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jordan Bruno. Morning, Body Flood. It's actually past noon. It's not morning anymore. We're, we're recording a little bit later than normal. I had some some uh, family duties to take care of. But it is Monday, Monday, July 25th, uh, 2022, just celebrating Pioneer Day weekend. Can we still call it Pioneer Day? <laughs> I at first I was thinking that you were concerned that the day had passed, but then I'm now inferring that that's not exactly what you meant. Well, I've seen I, the, the Deseret News, and uh, the Deseret News posted a, a typical article that you kind of come to expect from mainstream or want to be mainstream news sources or authors nowadays. That that what really happened when the when the LDS Mormon pioneers came west that they displaced all the natives and took away their home and ruined their lives which is a, a predictable take on you know anything that white people did in history is was destroying somebody else that wasn't white yeah desert news doesn't have anything right now on their website about pioneer day i'm gonna do a search for the word pioneer but maybe there's a maybe we should rename it like okay halfway down the page. The top story is the link between abortion rights and same-sex marriage legalization explained. So this is what Deseret News wants to talk about. And they have a nice rainbow on top of a set of books. Yeah, the Deseret News, by the way, is not any different than KSL. It's become fully captured. It's just your local communist rag. Which is interesting, given who owns the desert. Here he goes. Celebration news. reminds Utahns of the state's and, and indigenous roots during Pioneer Day weekend. Okay, and, that's what you're talking about. And KSL, <clears throat> right? There's a few, there's a few links to pioneers clear down the page, but I think one thing is is needs to be remembered, and that is that this place where we live now, known now as the state of Utah, the great state of Utah led by the great and honorable magisterial Lord Commander Cox, uh, was, was uh, settled, and, you know, uh, wasn't discovered, or it wasn't anything like that, but it was settled by Mormon pioneers. No, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint pioneers. Uh, back then, they were Mormon pioneers. And no, all. but that's not how we say it today. <laughs> I mean, it? come on. But the this Church is a, of... This is a sanctioned <laughs> podcast of the Church of... No, I'm just no, kidding. No. <laughs> Certainly not. But you know what? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint pioneers just doesn't come off the tongue real quickly. I know, but when uh, the guys running Cougar Nation or the BYU uh, Cougar sports cast shows have to say the name of the church now they figured out a way to get out of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints all as quick as possible without rolling their eyes while well, you know, talking you know, about the kids going on missions and you know what's happened is that uh, the the name of the church see this whole campaign to 
emphasize the the full name of the church has made it so the full name of the church is like you just demonstrated completely just ramrodded and has no meaning anymore because it's just something that a style guide says that certain people have to say so the press the local press anyway tries to to honor that and the the non-local press still calls the church the mormon church or the lds church or the church of mormon the church of mormon (laughs) you know and people have kind of got that name mixed up or whatever but um, but, and but our, historically, the, the schizophrenia that our institution has displayed over the issue has given them good reason to be confused on it. I mean, if, if we could have, during the Hinckley years, I think that the style guide was essentially call us the Mormon church or preferably the LDS church. And that, that was very common. I think it was starting to get to be pretty uniform that we would be called the LDS church. Right, and known as Mormons. Yeah, and, and Hinckley was instrumental in getting that kind of all settled down. Well, then the apple cart got upset a few years ago. Yeah, we, keep in mind, we ran massive campaign called I'm a Mormon, right? Ad campaigns that were on television. So we titled this episode, I'm a Mormon. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Smith is a Mormon. Remember the old song? <laughs> remember the old song? I'm a Mormon boy. I like that. Joseph Smith <clears throat> is a Mormon. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the documentary, the Meet Meet the Mormons, um, was I think there's two of those, right? Yeah, right. We those. were supposed to go to the theater to support that movie. So you can forgive people uh, in and out of the church being a little confused. And I have noticed that even of Latter Day Saints is being dropped in official church communications. Oh yeah, yeah. They uh, the current. Um current regime would like to see us branded as the church of jesus christ sure and why are we talking about all of this well like i said it was just pioneer day so we we remember our the the uh noble nauvoo stock the proud the proud <laughs> nauvoo saints who made it here and i think both of us have uh have relatives that came oh, yeah. across the plains in one company or another famous ones i think it's i think a lot of proud people ones. <laughs> i think a lot of people like to to claim uh, family roots in either the Martin or Willie Hancock company, as if that makes you more proud or noble. <laughs> and I'm like, that's those are the guys that goofed up, really messed up, and cost a lot of people their lives. A couple and, more and, Levi and savages some, could have saved a few lives, <laughs> right? There's some now. Look, there's some great s- stories of, of heroism and in faith and, and things that come out of that, and I, I'm not discounting it at all, but. It's too bad. I think we touched on this earlier. It's too bad they didn't listen to Levi Savage because maybe they could have saved some people's lives. But that's all water then down, more down pe- the highway. Then more people might have ancestors in the Willie Martin <laughs> and car companies. But I, I don't think that we should ever shy away from, from our history. Uh, the history of the state, but also the history of the faith. Uh, the, they're intertwined. You can't separate them. Well, I mean, uh, you're... Yeah, we should never shy away from that. And, and the controllers of our day realize that a good history is an important element in any society. So they're writing those new histories right, I, for us right now. And when I say shy away, don't shy away. I, I mean the good and the bad, the controversial, the, uh, the, the shameful and, and the good. The, yeah, the but things it, you that know, were if, great. And, if you're a naive member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints out there listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to just go ahead and march right into this territory. 
just be aware that many a well-meaning member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been excommunicated or disciplined for delving too deeply into church history. It's essentially right. an electric fence for a lot of people. <clears throat> electric chair? <laughs> <laughs> that too, I guess. Well, the re- uh, another reason that this is on both our, our minds this morning is... Uh, the first reason, Pioneer Day. The second reason is the that, timely re- timely release. Yeah, there's been a new photo released uh, to the public that uh, the owners, the people who have this photo, are claiming is a photo of of Joseph Smith Jr. It's not just a new photo. It is, as far as I know, the only photo. Right? There's been others. There that have been people others. People have thought could be him. Um, there was one. Uh, that ended up being a politician. Okay. Um, I'm, I can't remember who he was. There's another one of a younger... Oh, I'd like to see those. ...version of Joseph Smith that caught some, some traction maybe in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, and, then, and then there's been you know, less, less uh, uh, buzz around others, but... Uh, this one is is caught the you've pro- if you're listening to our podcast you've probably already seen this photo. In fact, yesterday today's Monday. Um, did I say the date? Yeah, July 25th. Uh, yesterday when I was in church, I had the photo on my phone. I was reading an article about it. Uh, You'd think we in, might talk about this in church in <laughs> in sacrament meeting. Uh, I was reading an article about it, and you know, sacrament meeting ends and people kind of congregate, and I was still sitting. And somebody saw over my shoulder, saw the photo, and they said, oh, have you seen that? That's such a fascinating story. And, and we talked a little bit about it, and I showed them the, uh, this animated version of it, which we'll have, <laughs> yeah, to, have link to post to. that. It's, it's cool and also kind of creepy. creepy yeah. technology. It's, no, it's great, though. Um, no, I was sent the, the story by uh, one of our listeners, I Play the Radio, who gives us our T-shirt ideas, which someday, someday maybe we'll make one of those before the apocalypse is over. But uh, yeah, I, I was talking to him on the phone and then I, I couldn't, uh, he brought this up. He sent me this text and I started looking at him like, oh, kind of couldn't, it's, intri- it's engaging enough, intriguing enough to me and plausible. I don't know for sure, but I mean, I like this photo here of this guy. It looks to me like it's one of the Smiths for sure. And um, this this photo has the probably the best backstory as far as plausibility. Um, now, there's a couple of things that it really hinges on that are hard to verify. But you you found a, an article on uh, a website called Religion News that we'll post first and foremost. Tell us a little bit about that. The, this this particular article had a lot better detail granular detail right a lot, lot better variety and detail and and uh was willing to go further than some of the institutional outlets were well this this photo may be one of the the silver linings to come out of the lockdowns the pandemic okay. lockdowns which were wholly destructive 100 <laughs> percent statistically um, proven but uh a man named dan larson um and his wife were stuck at home. You know, they were staying home, staying safe, and they were going through some old things in their house. And they found a locket. Okay, this is the story, right? They found a, a 
a, a locket in some old things. And now, who are who are these Larsons again? So Dan Larson is a great great grandson of Joseph Smith. Okay. Not and, Hiram, Joseph. <clears throat> Joseph. And his great... Is he RLDS or Church of... He... Cro- Community of Christ? He is LDS now. He is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. And that's a recent development, I think within 10 years, if I remember right. Okay. But his family heritage is RLDS. His great-grandfather uh, was Joseph Smith III, who was okay. the oldest son of Joseph Smith. Okay, so there, there's sort of this uh, line of uh, su- uh, succession. <laughs> yeah, well, all the all the uh, all of the articles have the, the photo of or a picture of the 1842 oil painting, right, mm-hmm. next to this daguerreotype photo. Mm-hmm. And you know, I really like the daguerreotype a lot better than the painting. <laughs> <coughs> wow, that was right into the microphone. Sorry, guys. It caught me off guard. Um, yeah, the the so inside the locket, the locket was apparently somewhat looked like broken a broken, and he kind of pried it open. It looked like a, and, a watch, right? It was like yeah, a, he expected it to be a pocket watch inside the locket, or pocket watch was a portrait, and he claims that he he said his quote is in my mind there was no question who it was. Larson said. Uh, he felt immediately that it was Joseph Smith. Now, the photo is pretty striking. Whoever it is, if it's not Joseph, is, uh, it's, it's a prominent-looking person. Um, the eyes stand out, and that was always something that people talk about with Joseph Smith, was that he has piercing, uh, piercing eyes. Now, it's got the side-by-side with the oil painting. There's some similarities, and there's some differences, right? And we have to remember, an oil painting is a painting and we well, don't it's highly dependent on who's doing the oil painting right and and this 1842 painting was um painted by um i'm not sure david rogers is what this caption oh yeah is artist saying. david rogers so what we'd have to do is find some is other he any good <laughs> yeah is, was david rogers any good or was he just there he was just someone that was in nauvoo in 1842 i mean nauvoo was the extreme frontier of america <laughs> american society i mean i guess i guess you'd have uh st louis would be even further west but but nauvoo's pretty pretty out there right we're talking about on the edge of the mississippi yeah in the, in the 1840s the, west, the western edge i mean they were yeah I, I'm gonna. I'd like to find it out if we can f- find more of his work. Okay, you keep talking, then I'll look for David Rogers. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so the locket was found. It had this photo in it, and this was in 2020. And as most of you guys know on our podcast, you're very well informed. It is currently 2022. So 2022 minus 2020 is two. That means two years have passed since then, and he's just now coming public. And what they claim is that they spent the last two years trying to verify uh, if this could be Joseph Smith. And, and they claim that they have done that. They, they claim that they've used some different um, analysis based on the death mask, based on descriptions. Um, and they also claim that, um, well, they said they hired facial recognition experts and he also talked to his nephew. This Larson guy's nephew is a historian 
in the Community of Christ. That's the former RLDS. They're now called Community of Christ, and he's a, a, an apostle in that faith. A man named Lachlan McKay or Mackey, not sure how to, how you'd pronounce that. To and and uh, they joined forces has joined forces with historian Ron Romig, the retired chief archivist for the Community of Christ. And they uh, they talk about the the steps they took. Cutting to the chase. Everyone involved thinks, yes, this is Joseph. It's got to be Joseph. Now, apparently in a, in a few weeks, all these guys are getting together and they're going to have a, um, a symposium or something detailing all of this. So there are some details posted at the John Whitmer Historical Association. We will link to that as well. Anyway, so that's kind of the, the short backstory. <clears throat> now, this locket or pocket watch, whatever you want to call it, um, was thought to have belonged to Emma Smith until her death, and then it passed on and and went from family to family, person to person, and ended up with this this, uh, Larson fellow. And now it's uh, out there in the public, or at least this photo is out there in the public. And... uh, we're all left to wonder, could it be him? Could this actually be Joseph Smith? I like the picture. I like the picture too. My f- it, it's in, the eyes are very engaging. It looks to me like a, a tired, <laughs> trying to hold still, you know, like hold still. Okay, like this? Like, okay, like this? Okay, so he's, he's focused. Well, a lot of because I think he has more smiling eyes than that. A lot but. of a lot of daguerre type type photos, the eyes will be blurry because people blink, oh. or because there's a long exposure there, right? Okay. You, but this one, the, the eyes are crystal clear. And my first impression was that's not that guy's not 38. That guy's like 60. But then I remembered Joseph eh, lived a know. hard. He lived a hard life. People at that time lived a hard life. They're on the frontier. They lived outside. Uh, Doing manual labor, they he had you're, a lot of you're stress. You're saying that because of the lines in his face, because he has a youthful face. He has what we'd call a baby face, in my opinion. Well, and that was something that that we've heard about Joseph, right? He had a kind of a baby face, didn't have a beard. But that this photo doesn't look like a guy that's 38. But again, I I think you're right, and I do I, think there's an I, air. I don't know. I mean, I again, like in your uh, opinion. <laughs> that was just I'm my just first giving my opinion. That was my first impression, but then again, you have to remember the type of lifestyle that yeah, he I could lived. Yeah, I could say early 40s. He doesn't look to me like he's in his 50s to me, this guy. Okay. And it might have been I I think I first saw it on my phone and I think it looked I think what I mistook for wrinkles on the skin were just the paper. Uh, oh, okay. Like art of, you know, kind of aging of the photo, but there's an air of kind of sadness to it as well. Uh, this is like this guy has or could have some burdens <laughs> that he's carrying. And exactly the, the other context that is important, uh, it's thought that, it, and I've heard this before this photo came to light, it's thought that there was a daguerreotype photographer living in Nauvoo in 1844 who was a convert to the church and went to Nauvoo. And if he was there and he had his equipment, who would you, whose photo would you take if you were in Nauvoo in 1844? Like the top on the list, whether you're a member of the church or not, would be Joseph. 
And so there's this been this folklore, this idea that that there's a photo out there somewhere of Joseph that was shot in spring or early summer 1844. So if this is him and it, and this is that photo, this would have been taken just days or weeks before his death in June 1844. Yeah. In other words, this guy we're looking at is like the this is the King Follett Joseph. This is the version of him right. who delivered that sermon, which I think is significant. So here we are. Yeah. It, it, it's tough to talk about a photo on a podcast because you can't see it. So well, if you, you can go check it out on our website. You're, while you're listening, yeah, pull the photo up. People have already, you know how members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are. <laughs> yes, we do know how they are. They're, they're running with this, right? They're taking the oil painting and this photo. They're morphing it. There's already been people who have kind of restored it, colorized it. There's been memes. There's been all kinds of stuff because I think we're hungry for stuff like this in our culture. We're hungry for verification. We're hungry for information uh, about Joseph. At least some of us, I think, still are. Right. So um, I think I found a good article here on calledtoshare.com that has a wide variety of photos that are thought to be Joseph Smith. Or what, There's the one black and white that looks like the oil painting which is commonly thought to be a daguerreotype of the oil painting. Uh-huh. So that's problematic in that there's, a, there's that black and white picture that looks like the oil painting that's been circulating where people would say, oh, that's, see, this is the photo, so it proves that the oil painting's accurate, that that's actually a photo of the oil painting from early on. And so therefore, not necessarily accurate. <laughs> there's a... Uh, there, there's a couple of those that look like they're from the oil painting. And then on this, on this called to serve link, there's a couple more that have people that may or may not be the same guy. Um, the, the, these actual photographs don't necessarily look like they are. They don't, they don't look like the, the, oil painting and they don't they don't necessarily look like the daguerreotype in question the one we're talking about that mm-hmm. this larson guy found and um to me they don't i mean if you're going to have a feeling about something you know those these other pictures don't have the same feeling that i get when i look at the uh the daguerreotype well, that we're talking the larson daguerreotype let's call a, it the larson daguerreotype there's a couple key similarities that people are pointing out between the oil painting and the Larson daguerreotype. One of those is that in the oil painting, there is a frown crease right between Joseph's eyes, slightly to the left. And that crease also is prominent in the daguerreotype. So that's interesting. Um, The hairstyles are quite similar. The hairline yeah, it's not parted in the middle, but the the story is that he was scarred somehow uh, on the temple area, and so he would let his hair come forward more, right? Right, and you have, and, you and I have think that. one of the I think one of the problems with these paintings is that they're done in a certain style, like sort of a post Renaissance soft Napoleonic, yeah, uh, peachy style. I don't know what you'd call that, but they're they're 
they, they don't seem to capture the sense of all the pioneer pictures we have. I mean, you'll see paintings from the era, and then you'll see a picture of the guy. And Abraham Lincoln's probably the most obvious example of that, where if you've seen a photo of the guy, he looks like he went through the war, literally. <laughs> right. He looks pretty, pretty beat up, pretty yeah. weathered. Yeah, very weathered. And I think that's what people looked like back then. Because, again, they spent most of their lives outside in harsh wind and snow and sunshine. They didn't have modern skin creams and sunblocks and U, U, H, U, Yeah, what they is, got weathered. What is it called? Uh, U, not UHF. UHF. <laughs> that's, the, that's the great... I think it's uh, SPF, isn't it? Weird Al, Weird Al movie. <clears throat> uh, yeah, SPF blocking technology um uv ray technology yeah. like like that we have today like and we spend a lot of our time indoors yeah well i think the w- one thing that we do have that we know was joseph smith was the death mask we have that for hiram and joseph if, if you're unaware right after the two were killed at uh, Carthage Jail. Should we add a link to any documentaries on that subject? <laughs> I don't think no, there's been not, any done. Uh, no. <laughs> um, the after they were killed, the mourners, the families, as was a custom in the day for prominent people, they took plaster of Paris or plaster, and I don't know if they called it plaster of Paris at the time. But they they took plaster and molded their faces, and we have those surviving death masks. And the Hiram Smith death mask is conspicuous because the chin shows that the chin was damaged, and they have a uh, improvised the the chin on Hiram's death mask a little bit, so it looks a little bit odd. But Joseph de- Joseph's death mask is largely intact, and it shows that he has a more rounded, you know, a more diminutive baby kind of a jaw and um, large emotive eyes, at least there, mm-hmm. there was a place for those, you know, and we don't know, we didn't, they didn't have his eyes open or anything. But one, one thing to remember about the, uh, the death masks is their faces would have been relaxed. Right. Because they were dead. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's not going to show all of the, the same intensity or, uh, reality that a, a, a daguerreotype like this yeah, and would if have. You've, if you've been to a funeral with a viewing, you, you know that, especially if you knew the person well, you know that the, that body in the casket, it always looks a little different. A little, uh, not quite the same because the person is, is dead. It's not, it's not their living, their soul, their spirit is not It's gone. There, <laughs> and so the, something of that person is gone. But, yeah, they always look a little weird. <clears throat> but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, gravity and <laughs> it's doing its its work now one thing really prominent on the death mask is the the nose under the joseph death mask and the photos there's photos of uh joseph smith the third and he kind of has the a nose that looks more like the nose from the death mask and less like the nose from this larson daguerreotype but again it's a death mask mm-hmm. <clears throat> well and that photo of uh, the Larson daguerreotype is uh, head on, right? So it's mm-hmm. hard to see any of that curvature, and and the and the portrait also kind of 
hides any sort of curvature in the nose that you would see from a profile. Right. The the profiles of Joseph that <clears throat> exist are a little bit Napoleon looking, you know, because there's one of him in his Nauvoo Legion uniform. Yeah, it makes him look really overweight. Yeah, and kind of odd. And uh, the death mask, though, doesn't doesn't have that same quality to the face, in my opinion. So one thing I think is interesting is this: the existence of this locket or pocket watch. Um, it's it would seem to me that somewhere along the line, the importance of it, assuming that it is what these people who are claiming it to be, and former. Uh, possession of Emma Smith, Joseph's wife, mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, the importance of that <clears throat> was lost to where it came to Larson, <clears throat> who I, I think is in his late 70s now. It came to him at some point, and the, he didn't know what it was, nor did the people that passed it on to him. Well, like know like you said earlier, he had never opened it up thinking it was a pocket watch and the and the clasp on it was damaged and so he just kind of threw it with the rest of his heirlooms. Even even not knowing what was inside, it would seem like the the locket itself being having belonged to Emma would be prominent in the family folklore. Probably. But somewhere along the line that got lost. Well, are there some legends of her showing or, or you mentioned earlier that there were there was some evidence of women having taken photos with it. Yeah, the guys that the the, the McKay and Romig, the, the historians that helped verify this, claim that the locket. This is a direct quote from from McKay. The locket shows up on prominent Smith family women through the years, unopened. Right, just they're wearing. Yeah, like they're wearing they're it. They're wearing the locket. The idea was that Emma loaned it to uh, female relatives for special occasions for portrait sittings for weddings things like that Mm -hmm. and it's believed that this is again from the religion news article it's believed that the locket remained in emma's possession until her death in 1879 and that she loaned it to female family members for special occasions it eventually made its way to the family of our lds prophet fred m smith uh, joseph jr's grandson and larson's grandfather see the fact if if that's true that emma was loaning it out that is very very compelling because it it was and of course we've already lost people over our uh commentary on the on the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints allegedly allegedly we lost one person look we're not trying to destroy anybody's faith here i really personally love joseph smith and the legacy he, he left us i just think it's more colorful and and variegated more more interesting than we're allowed to really discuss on Sundays at at the institutional church but the I don't mean to blow up anybody's par- well I would love to blow up everybody's paradigm it's just like don't go crazy about this okay don't don't do crazy things just look for the truth and try to figure out what's really going on when we have when we have paradigm shattering comments that are made it's good because then we can change our minds to that which is more likely to be real. And of course, seek the advice of the Lord in all of these things, because he is the spirit of truth. So this is really important. We should, we, should, we should embrace all truth. It's just a fact that 
1894, Wilford Woodruff gave an address where he essentially said, look, we don't know what Joseph Smith was really doing with all those ceilings. And the reason he said that is because it was becoming burdensome, I believe, having some family members involved in this, to have uh, people who did their temple work want to get sealed to Joseph Smith because that was the practice. It used to be up until the 1890s that you would get sealed to someone who had been sealed to Joseph Smith, not to your father and not sealing your father to his father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By sealing, you're not, you don't mean- As father to son. Married or- Well, we don't know because see, like uh we we don't know how all of these sealings with the women went we don't we know that joseph wasn't sealing men as spouses to each other in sort of a homosexual way although some people would like to believe that but there was an adoption craze that hit nauvoo right after joseph smith's death and it was a very real thing there's been i guess i'm gonna have to find uh the paper on that i'm just making my myself a note but you would be surprised if you haven't ever looked into this, uh, the type of shenanigans that were going on relative to adoption and the temporal organization of the, the saints relative to the Quorum of the Twelve in, in the uh, winter quarters and early Salt Lake years as they came across the plains. They literally had a, don't take anybody take any offense at this, but they had it like a network marketing multi-level tiered uh, hierarchy going where you would adopt into the family of somebody who had adopted into the family of somebody who had adopted into the family of Joseph Smith. And they were cared. This mattered as far as their temporal relationships. They were, we, our early ancestors, the early church was literally engaged in Zion building. And that's why they left the United States into the West so they could be a kingdom to themselves or a kingdom to God. And build up the physical kingdom on the earth that they they were intent on having a peculiar society apart from the world it's very clear from the historical record that's why they left they didn't want to integrate and have to democratically uh coordinate or cooperate with all the other people they were being persecuted true that's also true but about about half of the saints those that followed brigham because it was it was only about half the saints that came west they did that for various reasons, and they reconstituted the organization out here and along along the way and out and out in the West under Brigham Young's leadership. And they maintained these uh, traditions the way they saw fit. And one of those traditions was that, as far as temple ceilings go, you if you were going to be sealed into the covenant, you needed to be sealed to Joseph Smith. And so therefore, you wanted to be sealed to somebody who had been sealed to Joseph Smith, which meant a member of the Twelve, right? Because the Twelve had all been sealed to Joseph Smith. Well, in 1894, it was apparent that that was a burdensome process. There were too many people, too much time constraints on the, the members of the Quorum of the Twelve. And Wilford Woodruff essentially in his talk, and I guess I'll have to provide a link to that talk, Woodruff talk, making a note for myself so that you can read this evidence yourself. He says, essentially, we don't know exactly why Joseph did this or what he was doing, but I, Wilford, as president of the church, I'm telling you that it is what, what, what is appropriate now is for you to seal yourself to your father and your father to his fathers and go all the way back in your line as far as you can 
and then seal the last guy to Joseph Smith. You don't have to seal him to me or to Erastus or Orson or Brigham. Seal that guy directly to Joseph uh, by proxy. And you can you can see how in the early church, in the early endowment um, era, so this is after they'd built the St. George and the Manti and Logan temples, which I believe were all con- finalized before Salt Lake. Is that correct, Bobby? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that. I believe those three temples <clears throat> were finished before the Salt Lake temple was finished. That. I think you're it right. It sounds right. We, we like to just say things that sound right here on the Mind Virus <laughs> show. But, uh, but that was the point, is that Joseph was the guy. He's the one that communed with the heavens. He was the one you needed to be sealed to that would bring you out of the fallen world in safety into the real world. And so, therefore, this is very important. So it makes perfect sense that women would want to be seen having that link to Joseph Smith on their body as they were in social situations or having a photograph taken or something like this. The idea was the prophet Joseph was the man, and he was always the prophet. He was always the man right up until the David O. McKay era when the church news started to call David O. McKay the prophet. Until that point, anytime you said prophet, anytime we were talking about the guy who communed with Jehovah, it was Joseph Smith, no other. And and he was he played an important role even after his death in an incredibly important role in Mormon society. And and an incredibly important role in the so in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the some people call them the Mountain Saints or the LDS, right? And in the in the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the RLDS, the what's now called the Community of Christ, who who uh, by the way, the Community of Christ had all of his direct ancestors. You know, they're the one, the one, Emma's family. They stayed, and Hiram's family came out the out west, right? So it was a little bit of a schism there. Both both laying claims to keys, both laying claims to authority, and while the uh, the Church of Christ has str- or the Community of Christ has struggled more out in the Midwest, the LDS Mountain Saints flourished. I would argue because of their lack of proximity to tyranny, their lack of proximity to the rest of the world that gave them chance to get more momentum and. And still struggled mightily to integrate in the last hundred years, but got to be a far larger group just by. Well, I think now the integration is complete. And that's a different, maybe a different topic for a different day. But I, I would like to see these photos that apparently exist of ladies wearing the locket and then pictures of the locket. Right now, the, the only one I've seen of the locket is has it open with the photo so yeah i'd like to see i'd like to see the photos of the locket closed and also maybe with these other ones that they refer to the, the bertha madison smith photo portrait in 1869 and then a 1875 granddaughter wore it in a wedding portrait so i'd like to if those exist i'd like to see those i'd be interesting to see because if if this locket can be tied to emma then there's a really 
solid chance that is Joseph's. Yeah. And let's just say this, daguerreotypes uh, were essentially the earliest form of photography over here in the Americas. And if there were a daguerreotyper in Nauvoo, which the history says there was, and this is the 1840s, 1850s in America, when these types of uh, portraits were made, then it would make total sense that he would have photographed Joseph and that that yeah. would have been kept as a family heirloom. According to McKay and Romig, the likely photographer who we refer to, uh, I've got some more details here, is a man named Lucian Foster. He was a branch president, a Mormon branch president in New York City in, in 1839. And he moved to Nauvoo uh, because, again, the saints were gathering, right? Mm-hmm. He moved to Nauvoo in April of 1844, and he rented a room in the prophet's home. So he, okay, so he's he, right he there. He was right there, he, and so he lived with Joseph. And it would have been of inc- of, of uh, intense interest to people. It's like, oh, this new this newfangled thing. It's the, the internet, eh? Uh, let me have a look at that. You know? <clears throat> right. Uh, it's, so, it's 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 a photo- it's a photographic process where you have an iodine sensitized silverized plate. And then a mercury vapor that it reacts on it, and you get your you get your photo by exposing that mm-hmm. that chemical process. And um, they would have been, I I would assume, I would think, I mean, everyone would have been intrigued with this, and he would have been a person of some note. And Joseph himself probably would have thought, hey. This is this this technology looks like it's going somewhere. Why don't, yeah, I'll sit for a photo. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, there there is a link to in the article there's a link Lucian Foster's name is linked. You click on it, it takes you to his little biography at the Joseph Smith papers where you can learn more about his interactions with Joseph. <clears throat> So yeah, there, like we said, there, there would be no, nobody else would be on the top of that photography list. If you were a photographer in Nauvoo in 1844, you would want to take Joseph's picture. <clears throat> and daguerreotypes- But, but you're if, living in his home. If you've ever seen a daguerreotype that's well-preserved, they're really nice. They, they, it is a really n- nice-looking photo. It's like, they're, they're just a cool look to them. So yeah, so I think it's interesting that- Again, this <clears throat> this locket itself, the idea of this locket being a Smith family heirloom passing down generation to generation and being perhaps symbolic of a literal or a figurative sealing to Joseph. Or a link. Having some jo- sort of a, a linkage. Link, having Joseph close to your heart, li- you know, quite literally, right? Hanging there around your neck is interesting. And I think, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to talk more about some of these objects that you were talking about earlier well i don't know if this now is the time or the place but early members of the church came from uh, (laughs) a very storied a very colorful setting in in new england in the mid-atlantic out of new york not we're not talking about the kirtland saints we're talking about the ones that came straight out of new york which is the smith family and they they would have had more than a sentimental attachment to something like this. They would have potentially attributed a spiritual or magical uh, 
I don't want to say power, but uh, attributes. Attributes to yeah, <clears throat> a, a sort of a <clears throat> spiritual or a magical uh, ness to this uh, to, to an artifact like this. That it, it it could have it could have meant more than just simply being a, a photo of Joseph. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm the first one to break it to you, I guess so be it. This is the Mind Virus show. <laughs> You're welcome to look into this stuff. But uh, the Smith family had in their possession at the time that Joseph Smith was a young man certain artifacts that uh, were would be considered magical, like certain parchments. They had a ceremonial dagger that they called the Mars Athame. Some people believe these are linked to masonry. So Freemasonry, uh, others would argue that they were linked to witchcraft or wizardry or something like that. Uh, Joseph Smith during his lifetime had an amulet made called the Jupiter Talisman or the Jupiter Amulet. It's very interesting. It was made of tin, has some astrological markings on it. So there, there uh, I guess now that I've, I've brought it up because you brought it up, Mr. Flood. <laughs> there are two interesting sources on this if you want to look at it, but I would say I would argue that these books are not for the uninitiated. Remember, I believe Joseph Smith had the experiences that he said he had. I believe that he interacted with not only God, but the gods, the hosts of heaven, angels, the sun, who is himself a god and other other angelic or godly beings from the beyond that um, taught him and helped him to restore a religion that was far older than the early Christian church at the time of Christ. Because that's what Jesus was doing. He was restoring the the true narrative or the true religion of the fathers of adam the 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 the, it's the it's the story or the understanding that will help us to come into contact with the true king of this creation the true god who is jesus christ and not be taken in by the counterfeit God, the one who comes to Adam and Eve in the temple ceremony when they first pray, the one that comes to Moses in Moses chapter 1 and says, after trying to get Moses to worship him, screams at him, I am the only begotten, worship me. Remember, this Lucifer, this Satan, wants you to believe he is the true God and that he is the true rightful uh, heir or owner of this creation. And that, that's a difficult concept to really get your arms around, to get you to wrap your mind around coming out of the correlated Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mindset. We, we would give lip service to that. A lot of like, if I brought this up in gospel doctrine, people would say, oh yeah, 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 we believe that. But I really don't think we, we give this very much thought. And I, and what I just said, I believe is of the utmost importance that that is the true crisis here in the world is that we are being at every point influenced by the adversary, the great counterfeiter and need to come to greater contact and greater knowledge of the true God so that we can avoid giving our energy. That's what worship is. It's not about, 
piously kneeling or piously sitting through a meeting. <laughs> it's about what you do all day, every day. What's on your mind in every, in every moment and in every interaction? Are you serving the gods of light, the true gods of light, the, the, the great uh, Jesus, the, the true king of this creation? Or are you giving your allegiance and energy to the wrong gods led by Azazel or, or Lucifer or Satan, whatever you want to call him, the leader of the fallen watching angels that fell at the time of creation, according to the book of Enoch. That's the, that's the big question. Which God are you giving your energy to? Because if you're giving your energy to the wrong gods through whatever pr- programs, systems, institutions, whatever, whatever it is, then you're just like the humans in the that are trapped in the matrix, like a like a Duracell battery. You're you're essentially powering their control, their control grid, their control mechanism. It, the the that element of the matrix, the movie 1999, Keanu Reeves, um, Lawrence Fishburne, right? Right. That is that mm-hmm. element. I believe is accurate. <laughs> that like that's. Those gods, those bad gods, the ones that have taken control of this world, they don't have the power of life within themselves like our God does. And therefore, they got to suck it out of you guys, out of all of us. And we give them that by, by doing their bidding, by worshiping um, them, by, 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 by extending the conflict to other people, but you know, by, by giving in to what we might call temptation or falsehood, that that's the crux of it right there. That's the, you get burnt at the stake for thinking that type of thing. Lucian Foster, I'm just looking a little bit more into him. He also served on the committee for Joseph Smith for president. So he was he was involved in Joseph's life. Really? Uh, and maybe that photo was uh, his presidential portrait, his candidate portrait. That's an interesting thought. He would have been the equivalent to like a, uh, I mean, if you come to Nauvoo with, with photography equipment, you're the equivalent of the high-tech Radio Shack guy <laughs> in uh, Stranger Things or, uh, you know, the, the hotshot tech executive in, in, in 2020, right? I mean, you're, you're the guy that's on the cutting edge. He was, uh, he was baptized into the church in 1840. He, um, was branch president in New York city, 1841, 1844. He moved to Nauvoo in 1844. He was a member of the Nauvoo Masonic Lodge. He served as member of central correspondence committee for Joseph Smith presidential campaign. Uh, in 1845, he was admitted to the Council of 50. In 1846, he was excommunicated. And when? 1846. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I'm just looking at these little footnotes here, so I'd have to dig into the source to find out maybe So he why was on the Council what. of 50. Council of 50. So this guy, this, the daguerreotypist, is not a nobody. No, this he's is a he, somebody. He's definitely involved. Especially with the with the with the church in that time period at that place, I'll bet you that the Smith family <clears throat> believed that locket had magical properties. He um, he moved back to New York City. He was married four times. 
Um, he, he, in 1870, he moved back to New York, but he died in 1876 in Salt Lake City. And again, these are just little footnotes. So I don't know if he was living in Salt Lake City or just happened to be in Salt Lake City when he died. It says that he was affiliated, and maybe you know more about this. I, this is the first I've read of this. After his excommunication in 1846, it said that he was affiliated with James J. Strang's Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hmm. Do you know what that is? I've never, I've never heard of that. So the, 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 this could be some fun reading, interesting reading. This sounds like a, a, a really interesting guy. Because we don't really hear much about him in church history, right? Like in the regular, because his names, I don't think his name appears in the Doctrine and Covenants and things like that. Some of these affiliates of, of the prophet. Well, according to Wikipedia, and I want to get this right, there's the Danites, and then I believe there's the Strangites. And that's what I'm looking to make sure here, because there's so many potential... <laughs> You know, we're, we're, we're really, we really are flying by the seat of our pants. It'd be interesting if we prepared for the Mind Virus show. But, uh, yeah, you it know. Does, it does, the, the source, when you click on the source link, it talks about, um, there's two books, um, or two works. There's a Strangeite Mormons, a Finding Aid. Yeah, I just don't want to confuse these guys with the Danites, right. who were uh, led by a guy named Avard, I believe. James, Jesse... Or James Jesse Strang, not Jesse James Strang. Okay, it's James Jesse Strang. According to Wikipedia, was an American religious and political leader. Uh, it says self-proclaimed monarch. Okay, <laughs> a major contender for the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints during the 1844 succession crisis. So it it, it it's interesting that. A lot. There were plenty of people who were very, very close to Joseph Smith that did not acquiesce to Brigham's claim to authority. That's you. You ought that's, to find that interesting. That's and probably again, why this Foster, Lucian Foster, was excommunicated. He probably sided with Strang. Yeah, in eighteen forty-six. Sure. So he's excommunicated in eighteen forty-six, and it says he was affiliated with Strang from forty-six to forty-nine. Yeah, see, this is this is definitely a, an electric fence right here. We we could jump right into the succession crisis and Brigham Young's claims to authority and whatnot. Uh, this is where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints currently will really get after you, is if you if you make any commentary that puts in question the idea that the, the current Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the, the First Presidency have nothing less than the full authority to and right and privilege and, and priesthood power to do everything that they're doing and that everything that they're doing was what Joseph Smith ultimately had intended. Right. That's, that's just the way it is. That's the guiding paramount principle of... LDS Mormonism, Latter-day Saint, you know, Mormonism today is that, you know, follow the prophet, don't go astray. Right. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, he knows the way. That could be a song. That could be a song. <laughs> but that's, that's the issue is we can never make a mistake. I, I realize that, again, again, you've said this probably before on the pop, podcast, haven't you, Bobby, that there's the, the, uh, the strange idea in Catholicism that the Pope is infallible, but everybody that's Catholic believes 
that he is fallible? How did you put that? And this isn't my saying. I can't remember where I saw this, but it was like the Catholics claim that Pope is infallible, but nobody believes it. That's it. The Mormons claim that the prophet is fallible, but nobody believes it. But nobody believes it. And that's the, the problem is that when you bring this up, if, if you go too far and you, cl- and you say, look, it was a mistake, you know, we've, we've already said that. <laughs> I think we've already, we've already said it on the Mind Virus show. If not, I'm going to make it very clear. These are, the, these are the six lines by which they could hang us. Uh, the, vac- the, the church's um, stance on the vaccine is a mistake. It's a, it is a current mistake. And the church's stance on being able to uh, curtail individual rights, how, how, well, how did that language go that all individual rights can be reasonably restricted in times of emergencies? That's a mistake. That's principally, right. in both of those cases, those are principal mistakes. They are not and that's tenable Th- those are not tenable positions to hold in a in a good righteous society that statement was kind of reiterated recently i don't think we need to get into that fully but it it's something that they still believe that all in exceptional circumstances all individual rights may be re- right. reasonably restricted bobby has argued very astutely that <clears throat> when in when do you need those rights? You, you, you need them the most in exceptional circumstances. That's why they're there, right, right. is so that in exceptional circumstances, you won't be trampled by the mob. But of course, then you get into the whole idea, the whole argument of what constitutes an exceptional circumstance, what is a reasonable restriction, uh, and a reasonable well, and then time. The, and then you get into the whole greater good. This is, I believe, Rousseau coming out of the pre-French Revolution period. It's this idea of the social contract, that right. somehow there's a greater good and that that society has this obligation to put the needs of the many above the the individual right which is a marxist it's a fallacy fallacy it is and it, and also i've argued for years and years and years there is no such thing as the greater good you, you can't do something that is good for some people but hurts other people and still claim any moral high ground. Right, and you government. Can't, you can't hurt people knowingly because there's more people that aren't hurt. Right. Government has only the duties that we delegate to it. It only has any rights that we as individuals have. Government doesn't have any greater rights than you as an individual have. There's, it doesn't have are, any greater powers. There, there, yeah, there, if, you, if you can't... If you can't murder someone, the government shouldn't be able to murder someone. If you can't steal from someone, the government shouldn't be able to steal from someone because the government is only a construct of us as a group. There are no group rights. There are no women's rights or no gay rights. There are no uh, male rights. They're, they're just individual rights. So the only rights that exist are you don't get certain rights by joining a group. Right. Now, and, that's been completely, utterly inverted, turned upside down, twisted, and now everything, everything in our social... But what's worse is that Doctrine and Covenants section 134 clearly states this. It just states it in sort of a... Uh, 
in a, it states it in a religious rights first type of a way, but it, it's very clear that governments are instituted. It, mir- it mirrors that sec- second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. It's very clear that governments are instituted among men to protect our natural rights. Preeminent among those in DNC 134 is the right to conscience, the right to, relig- to religious freedom. But it says that religion, or sorry, uh, rebellion and sedition are unbecoming people who are thus protected, protected in their natural rights. Thus protected is an important. It's, a, it's the most qualifier. important part of that section <laughs> that gets that gets <clears throat> overlooked. If you're not protected in your natural rights, we have nothing. We have an illegitimate, tyrannical government. We do. That's a statement. That's not hypothetical. Okay, I'll, I remove the if. <laughs> <laughs> we have currently and have had for a long time a illegitimate government. Now we're we're kind of veering off here. Well anyway, um, the point the, the point was to try to back up the statement that it's possible that as an institution we could make mistakes. And this runs in the runs contrary to what uh, Wilford Woodruff said in again, this is Wilford Woodruff sort of changing the narrative in the eighteen nineties after the first manifesto that where the church publicly renounced polygamy in 1890. Wilford Woodruff said, look, it's not in the program for me or any man who stands at the head of this church to lead you to stray. God wouldn't allow it. He'd remove me out of my place, et cetera, et cetera. You can go find it. These are, these are statements that were made in talks given by the president of the church at the time that the people, the people didn't consider him the prophet. Remember, that was Joseph Smith. In 1890, people thought of Joseph as the prophet. So the president of the church, Wilford Woodruff, said these things, and in the 1981 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, the committee led by Bruce R. McConkie, who was a real hard nose on doctrine, and with, with McConkie, it was his way or the highway, okay? And, and he even wrote a book called Mormon Doctrine, right, which but is the, well, he, was reprim- he was reprimanded by the right. church at the time. A lot of people don't know that, yet his... Stubborn statements have become, in a lot of ways, Mormon doctrine because of right. that. And the more, the book Mormon doctrine has largely been denounced. Is that a too strong word? I wouldn't word? say it's been largely denounced, but there, the but because it was, he was never told like he told other people to withdraw their materials. His were never formally withdrawn by the church. He was told to revise it, so there was a second edition put out. But he was never. Um, fully reigned in, and so right. therefore his influence prevailed in a lot of ways. And I think that's because he was Joseph Fielding Smith's son-in-law. But look, th- that's all Mormon history, and that's an electric fence. You can get in, tr- you can get in trouble for looking at that. You know, Guys like uh, George Pace and uh, Eugene England ran afoul of the threshing machine run by Bruce R. McConkie, and they... <laughs> yeah, they that's, those are interesting uh, exchanges. You should go look those <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, but but the point is that, that that idea has been cemented for, in the last 100 years since, or 130 years since Wilford Woodward made, made those statements, and Bruce R. McConkie took them and immortalized them in our canonical scripture without anyone's consent by putting them after the official declaration number one, which was the declaration on polygamy in the Doctrine and Covenants. And now a lot of people think that that's actually scripture. Now that's a d- big debate, right? Because the current sort of well, the he, current outlook in the church is that anything coming out of General Conference is scripture. He also does some editorializing in the italic summaries of scripture chapters, which are not part of the original text. He he was part of the committee or led the committee. Well, he was the most those. influential 
individual on the committee. And you, yeah, you're right. Those are all McConkieisms. All of the all the way that that is set up today, the way our scriptures are set up, is is completely the brainchild of Bruce R. McConkie. Which, on one hand, is pretty impressive. Uh, it's a it's a huge. He's, he's an intellectual kind of. He was he was a smart guy. He was uh, very influential. But looking he back, he has a law firm named after him. <laughs> looking back, I I mean, I, he died when I was before I was born, I think. But looking back, you realize like he was extremely hard nosed, very authoritarian, very uh, aggressive, and uh, take that for take it or leave it, I guess. But let's. Given so, does this photo, if the photo is authentic, does it change anything? I'm just trying to think why we were on the what what got us on that line of discussion. Was it was it Jordan Bruno that just went off like had something snap? Well, it had to do with what was the point? Making mistakes, I think, is what triggered that. Uh, yeah, but why were we talking about making mistakes relative to? Uh, the succession. The strangeites. Because we were talking about the strangeites. Yeah. We, Lucian because Foster. The, the daguerreotyper, what was his name? Foster? Lucian Foster. He, was, he had ended up siding with um, James Strang, which is not doesn't make him bad. It makes him uh, a very sincere follower of Joseph, I think. Yeah, there was. Um, it wasn't real cut and dry, I don't think. Well, that's, that, that's that the time. problem. It, it, like the, the way that we're taught, and I think most of our listeners are coming out of an LDS paradigm and so you know we love to be the bearers of the news (laughs) it's not all what it seems and now is the time if there ever was a time now is the time to address the the difficult um cognitive dissonances and and try to come to some understanding of the truth i mean we need it now more than ever so i i have no problem talking about this but yeah you, you ought to be careful in in polite society, you know, the, the real, realizing that this stuff doesn't really go over well when people aren't ready to to talk about it. I, I heard Catherine Austin Fitz, we've talked about her a lot in political uh, discussions. Made, she made a really interesting comment. She said, there's the actual reality, which is what you need to use when you're assessing risk, because she's a financial analyst, right? The actual reality is is of the ultimate import when engaging in risk management. And then there's the perceived reality, and that's what you need to know when you're at parties, and and she calls them cocktail parties, right? We don't have cocktail parties in LDS culture. So when you're at ward parties, when you're at at the activities committee parties, do we even do those anymore? Um, Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. You need to know what I'm sure it varies from ward to ward. You need to be well-versed in the perceived reality so that you can can talk the perceived reality with the people who who see it that way. And she makes a really good point because the actual reality is the most important factor relative to risk management. Well, she's speaking sort of in financial terms, but here we are speaking in terms of salvation, in terms of the your your eternal progression, your your eternal salvation to get out of the fallen world and be able to continue on with that that journey understanding the actual reality relative to that would be the ultimate in risk management and so i think it's a it's an important discussion you can see that uh what was his name again the daguerreotyper foster foster man i hope i can remember that foster saw it differently than brigham 
and he goes with strain. Well, anyway, my, what, what did the church say about the, uh, the, the I, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? What have, did they say about the photo? Let me, did let they me, like it? Which is weird because, I mean, isn't the church made up of a bunch of individuals? Shouldn't we be able to have a lot of individual well, opinions, or do we have to have a one monolithic opinion about it? Members of the church are, are predictably going crazy with this from memes and uh, reproductions and uh, colorizations and things like that, animations. And um, the official statement, I'm trying to find it here, was pretty generic. It was like, oh, yeah, once in a while this happens. People claim to have found a portrait. We don't know enough about this one. Um, let me let me just read the actual thing so I get it right. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so it reads thusly. Every few years, potential donors bring artifacts to the church history library for review. Okay, but this is not. This isn't. <laughs> this this isn't wasn't one of brought those. to yeah. the church. So anyway, including alleged photographs of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Such artifacts are, of course, of great interest to the church. Though it was not mentioned specifically in the article, church historians, archivists, and artifact experts were provided by the item's owner and the article's authors the opportunity to analyze the locket and photo and to review their findings prior to publication. We concur that the daguerreotype and locket were created of the materials and methods appropriate to the 1840s. So maybe they did get hands on the locket. I don't know. However, as nothing is definitively known about the locket's history before 1992, we cannot draw a conclusion about who is pictured in the daguerreotype. We welcome the recent publication of the image and hope it will prompt the discovery of additional information helpful to determining its authenticity. So... You know, kind of a cool statement written by attorneys, probably. Uh. Well, you got to remember, like, the, the church is going to be very careful about stuff like this because of what happened. The whole Mark Hoffman in the episode. the Salamander <laughs> letter in the Hoffman episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, you're right. You know, I, I don't necessarily blame the, them for... For saying... For no, no, no. Keeping I, this I, arm's I think that, that's actually... That's actually... As, as, as far as the church goes, that's actually pretty open, right? Like, hey, maybe so. Well, I, my my reaction, I I like the photo. I I feel like it's one of the Smiths at a minimum. Looking at the death masks, kind of having some understanding about what I think they looked at looked like. I I like it. I think that 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 could be, but more so than the more so than the oil painting. <laughs> I would prefer that to be Joseph Smith. <laughs> right. Well, the, the it could photo... Be it could be Hiram. It could be his brother. The but, photo looks like somebody who would have those qualities of leadership to him. And I know it's hard to tell from a photo, but our, our, there's a whole line of this called physiogenomy. Physio... Have you heard of this? Where it's the, the deriving yeah. character characteristics of the person based on their physical features. I don't know a lot about it. I Physiognomy? Kinda, yeah, I don't know how to say it, but... It is uh, the idea that a person's facial features or expressions, especially when regarded as indica indicative... Uh, sorry, a person's facial features or expressions, especially when regarded as indicative of character or ethnic origin. So the idea that your facial features say something about you. There's a guy who is a, apparently an expert in this who analyzed all 
100 U.S. senators. Really? And he basically was like, they're all crazy sociopaths. And, and, <laughs> and look, I, he's coming into it probably with some bias, right? But he had the photos. This was a long thread on Twitter. Maybe I can find it. Mm-hmm. And you look at these photos and you're looking at, and you do, you see these people and you're like, these are not healthy people. The, they just look like the kind of guy that would, that would sell his babies. Well, I have a friend. Or I buy a baby I've tried with to get, buffaloes. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried to get a friend of mine to do the podcast before when you were uh, out of town. And he's a, he's a guy that I think has some gifts. Uh, but he put together a system to type people based on their faces. But it's a, a temperament temperament typing mm-hmm. system that roughly n- not roughly but kind of corresponds to the Myers-Briggs typing system and and so it's it's less about their the quality of them being good or bad and more about what what types of temperamental uh underpinnings they have in in their psyche you know whether they're highly structured thinkers or linear thinkers or abstract thinker or whether they they're open to experience or or more rigid whether they're more of an earthy type you know get things mm-hmm. done type of person or you know stuff like that so so uh i'm i'm actually going to end up talking to him this week i believe and i'm going to ask him of course about this photo i'm sure he has seen well, it and analyzed it it would have been i would have i wished i could have seen this photo and someone have just said who do you think this is or Tell me what you think about this photo. Because mm-hmm. going into it with a headline that says, it basically claims this is it. It said, Mount Mormon founder Joseph Smith's photo discovered. It makes you, you automatically accept or kind of, okay, this is Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. Well, see, my friend here, he would, uh, and I don't want to disclose his name for fear of guilt by association, right? I don't, I don't think he'd have a problem with the content of the mind virus show, but you never know, you know, maybe he doesn't want to have his name associated with this, but he, uh, he would type Joseph Smith based on what he knew and the, and the photos and, and things that he said, or sorry, not the photos, but the paintings and what the descriptions of Joseph, he would type him as an E N F P in the Myers Briggs system, which is an extroverted, intuiting, feeling, perceiver an ENFP and i i think that there's plenty of room for this photo to be an ENF of a of a man who's an ENFP uh, he's well, got yeah it, it doesn't show him having as smiling of eyes but again he's th- this is somebody who's sitting there for a daguerreotype right yeah, and, and all these old photos the expressions on most of pe- people's faces in these old photos is very stern it's not, neutral or yeah. stern and but the eyes are significant but in, they're definitely picture yeah they're definitely and you know but to me you just ha- he just has the features of it's got more of a baby face doesn't some, it well i wouldn't say baby face to me like they're sharp features the nose is sharper than i than we get from the death mask or from some of the art and the jaw, you know, he's got a prominent, like, you know, jawline. And it, to me, that looks like I could picture this person standing in front of a group of people delivering something like the King Follett address or, right. or somebody that could be charismatic enough where you would want to 
to be around this person or to follow this person. Like he, he has those physical features. Some people you look at him and you go, I, I don't want to hear anything you ever have to say, <laughs> especially nowadays with the, uh, kind of this war on masculinity. I mean, you see men nowadays, too many men are physically weak. They're, they just look, well, everything just about them is weak. Yeah, but just because a person has a baby face doesn't mean they have charisma. I mean, there's a lot of oh, actors. Sure, sure. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people who... Um, this does not look like a physically uh, weak person. No, he does not. He does not. This isn't a person that is going to be easily pushed around by weasel politicians or this, grifters. This guy, I, like, I, like I said, I want this to be Joseph Smith. I'm not sure that it is, but... I like this person that I see in this photo here. <laughs> I like this person, and I think that he could have that charisma to stand up and give you that talk. He, has, he not only has the charisma to do it, but he has the flexibility to do it. Because There's... when he gave the King Follett discourse, he was laying down a paradigm that those people did not want to hear. Well, there's, I, there's some speculation that uh, the King, King Follett was kind of his death warrant. Well... It's not just speculation. The very first accusation levied against him in the Nauvoo Expositor, which was the the anti-Mormon newspaper, mm-hmm. or the anti-Joseph Smith, at least, newspaper that sprang up in Nauvoo. They printed one, one issue, and then the Nauvoo Council, uh, people attribute this to Joseph Smith, the Nauvoo uh, high, high Council, or not the High Council, but the City Council, decided to destroy the press and so then they then they really opened a can of worms right. because they destroyed they, they destroyed the free press. I don't think they should have done that. Yeah. A- anyway, uh, the very first accusation levied against Joseph Smith was Smith what he was that he was teaching the plurality of gods. Right. And that was number 1, number Which 2 was, was something about plurality of he, wives. He was teaching the plurality of God. But it wasn't polygamy first. It was the plurality of God's first and I believe that was the far more significant well, and element. Well, there's, there's not Correct me if I'm wrong. There's not any definitive evidence that he taught plurality of wives either. That's a very dubious subject. But he did in the Sermon on the Grove, which was given after the Nauvoo Expositor was destroyed, uh, right before he died. It was a, a sermon that was rained out. He said, I've always taught the plurality of gods. He openly, right. that, was, that was a position he openly defended. Right. Not only did he openly teach it in King Follett, but, but he, he, didn't, he defended it. But he never openly taught the plurality of right. wives. Never, wives. Fact, right. He often said, I, have, I look around, but I can only see that I only have one wife. Yeah, and that's know? a whole other yeah, thing. A can of worms there. But, a sort of a sideshow, I think. But... Um, People get so fixated but, on it. But this this is a face of uh, someone I could see saying, yeah. giving me, that address. L- l- let, me, let me interrupt one more time, though. The, 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 like the polygamy thing, guys, out there. I know a lot of people worry about that. I think that that's a sideshow. You really need to try to figure out what Joseph Smith was teaching relative to ancient religion versus worry about the polygamy thing. Because... Right. Well, and the, what he was we, teaching... We just don't know. what he Why he was teaching the... When, what he taught as the plurality of God. Right. If you get if you get enmeshed in the polygamy debate, that's going to lead to animosity, to to a grating feeling where you want to get I mean, some people are the, the RLDS church was adamant for the longest time. It still is, I believe. They're the they they're where a lot of the research comes from that says he was never engaged in these in these relationships. And there are no there are no surviving children. The DNS d- DNA tests have been done. They can't find you'd think if he'd had sex with that many women that there would be 
well, and that often. Emma Emma denied it. Yeah. Joseph denied it. It's a whole we other don't thing. Know. We could. We probably don't need to get we, into we don't, today. But I'm just saying it's a sideshow. Don't get stuck on that. Right. That's where the anti-Mormon, like if you if you start to question things, that's where it goes first, especially with women. It's like, oh, you know, he was a skirt-chasing charlatan. He's a, he's a fraud, you know. He, he was a pedophile. And it's like, well, hold on a second here. That's the sideshow. That's, that's where you're supposed to... The, the great counterfeiter wants you to be upset with Joseph. If that's this guy here that we're looking at in the photograph, they want you to hate that guy because of that thing. And so rather than worrying about that first, worry about the plurality of God stuff. Worry about the story of the cosmos stuff. Worry, do, take the deep dive on King Follett first and then decide if you think that Joseph had some really important revolutionary material to teach us about the true nature of reality so that we can manage our risks in this fallen world I did far more effectively. I agree wholeheartedly. I did see somebody on an internet forum discussing this photo said, that's 100% Joseph Smith. And someone said, how do you know? And he said, because Joseph visits me regularly and that's him. Really? Really. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I, who knows? How are, we to, gonna, how are we to verify that? I'm but that's really dis, cool. I'm not going to discount that because it's possible. Uh, so, but he, he was like, that. that's him. Yeah, I, how I, are we to validate that? We can't. So I just and, thought and, it was but interesting, we can't, interesting But we could, we could take the mainstream approach and say, that guy is crazy. Yeah. I'm not going to say that. No, no, because Joseph... That's, that's the Joseph... That's the Smith family right there. <laughs> the idea that spirits came and visited people. Yeah, well, and, Joseph... Joseph had heavenly visitors, not just God the Father and Jesus Christ that started it all, but after that, many, many, many. He talks about Moroni, of course, but Paul and many others he names. That if, he, the, if this is Joseph, the idea that his picture is surfacing right now, I find to be no small coincidence. <laughs> well, we're in, we're in need of... Uh, Joseph. J- Joseph. <laughs> we are. We are. And more importantly, Jesus. But... Joseph would be great if we could have him back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, we probably should wrap up today. A little shorter today, but it is the dog days of summer. We know you're all busy with... What are the dog days? Explain that to me. I I think it's... My understanding, so, is uh, you you get in like late July, August, where it's just hot, right? And the dogs just lay around lazy. Is that what it is? I have no idea. <laughs> I know that as a baseball fan, late in that season, you know, August kind of was referred to as the dog days where you're kind of grinding through these long, these major league baseball seasons are 162 games. So they're grinding through and they're looking forward to fall when the weather calms down or cools down and, you know, playoffs can get going. But uh, I don't, I'm not sure where that statement comes from. I'll tell you what the Farmer's Almanac says about okay. that. It says... Uh, that the dog days of summer are from July 3rd to August 11th each year. They're usually the hottest and most unbearable days of the season. We often hear about the dog days of summer, but few know where the expression originated. Some think it's a reference to the hot, sultry days that are, quote, not fit for a dog. Others suggest it's the time of year when the extreme heat drives dogs mad. But where does the term come from? And what does it have to do with dogs? You may be surprised to see that it has to do with the stars. <laughs> Read on. Now this is it starting always, to make sense to me. It this comes has to, back to the cosmos. <laughs> I was lo- last night. Last night, I kid you not. I was looking for when the heliacal rising of the star Sirius is, and of that's known as the Dog Star. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. See, so, this is a, <laughs> no, yeah, the, I, the universe has ways of 
because the ancient New Year in Egypt was when, see, the, the most evil day of the year was the summer solstice, because that's when the light... You, or the light is usurped by the darkness. Mm-hmm. You have the greatest day of light, and then the next day is shorter. And so, that's the, the mischievous happenings in you know midsummer, midsummer yes, nights. Yes, mid, midsummer nights. Exactly, exactly. So, so uh, the summer solstice is the, was essentially the most evil day of the year. And so, there's a there's a period between the summer solstice and then when Sirius comes back on the horizon, because Sirius is preceded by Orion. Orion was the great Osiris in Egypt, the great god, the good god, but but he was also, the, the problem was that god had been usurped or, or dismembered in Egypt by uh, Set, his brother. So the, the Set, uh, the focus on Set during the festival was, was at the summer solstice, and there were, there were literally cults that worshiped Set, in Egypt, but he's the bad guy. He's the devil. Okay. And Osiris finally comes back in the, in the star fields in Egypt in, uh, later in the summer. And he's followed by the heliacal rising of Sirius. Now, heliacal is an interesting word. It means, uh, a a sun rising essentially in Greek, Helios being the sun, heliacal meaning related to the sun. And so what that means is in the morning sky, right before dawn, you'll be able to see Orion. And then at some point, you'll still be able to see Sirius, which is the second brightest nighttime object besides the moon. Okay. It's, it's, uh, well, and I guess Venus is brighter than that, but, uh, so it's probably when they say it's the second brightest object in the sky, they're probably taking the moon out stars. of it. Stars. They're maybe so talking yeah, about so stars. Yeah, so we're talking about stars. Moon, it's definitely the planet, brightest. Taking the planets out of it. I think you got. I think it's brighter than any other planet except for or, uh, Venus because Sirius is very bright. Right. I guess we've got to check our... Somebody fact check Jordan Bruno on that. But the point fact is... Fact checkers say... Okay, so and I haven't even read this Farmer's Almanac thing yet, but I'm looking for the heliacal rising of Sirius because it's astrologically, if you're into that sort of things, it's a dark time of year after the solstice until Sirius comes back on the horizon because Sirius was essentially um, a, an astronomical manifestation of the woman and Osiris or Orion, the constellation Orion is the great... Osiris and so Isis and Osiris finally are back together in the sky when Sirius comes up before the sun just enough that you can see her in the night sky in the dawn and that's her heliacal rising Sirius and, and Sirius is known as the dog star of course and when when is the the heliacal rising uh, the heliacal rising of uh Sirius occurs right about around uh, the cross quarter on August 7th. There's a, we've talked about that before, how we have the quarters, which are the equinoxes and the solstices. And then there are points directly in between that that create eight spokes of a wheel on the wheel of the year. And that's the the early August. I believe it's Lufnasid. Let me just, according to the, Kel- to Kel- the Celtic Druidic tradition arc, let's see. The uh, Lufnasid, yeah, is August 7th. So right about, about August 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th in there. I, I don't know. Astronomers are going to have different technical definitions of when Sirius heliacally rises. But, the, but if you're an ancient astronomer, what you'd be doing is you'd be up in the morning looking 
and you'd be like, oh, I can see Sirius. <laughs> right. And, and uh, we have the mountains that interfere, right? So we, we might say that the heliacal rising of Sirius was much later because we can't see her on the horizon because uh, we have the mountains in the way. But according to Stellarium, which is a really cool program, I'll guess, I guess I'll put a link to that. You can model the stars based on any time and date. And, and you can do some really cool stuff. Have you ever used Stellarium? You know what that is? Is that the, the, the app on it's, a phone? It's, you, you can put it on your phone, but you can also get it on a, in a web browser. I think you can also download the program and use it. And it. I don't know if I've used that one. It will show you the positions of the stars and the constellations. Yeah, I've used a similar thing. There's probably a few out there. Well, anyway, let's see. The Far Farmer's Almanac brings up a picture of Canis Major, which is uh, the dog constellation of which Sirius is a s very significant part. It's, the, of course, the brightest star in it. And it says the phrase is a reference, the phrase dog days of summer is a reference to Sirius, the dog star. During the dog days period, the sun occupies the same region of the sky as Sirius, the brightest star visible from any part of Earth. Sirius is a part of the constellation Canis Major, the greater dog. In the summer, Sirius rises and sets with the sun. On July 23rd, specifically, it is in conjunction with the sun. And because the star is so bright, the ancient Romans believed it actually gave off heat and added to the sun's warmth, accounting for this long stretch of sultry weather. They referred to this time as Dies Caniculares, or dog days. Well, there you have it, Bobby. <laughs> I'll post a link to that, and you guys can all read about um, the farmer's almanac's interpretation of the dog days. Earlier, we were talking about other photos that people thought might be Joseph, and I referenced one that was a politician or somebody. That person is Alexander Hugh Holmes Stewart. You can look up that. But that, that photo, which is... Um, this here was it was one when I first saw it years ago. I thought, well, that, that could be Joseph. Uh, I like this current one better, but um, we could link to to that photo. Yeah, I'll find a, a photo of that. Uh, it's actually on the page uh, that I'm gonna uh, that I referenced called to share, but mm -hmm. it doesn't um, it doesn't make note that th that photo has been identified. Yeah, in fact, that photo is like definitively Alexander Hugh Holmes Stewart. Because third, he found, yeah, third United States Secretary of the Interior. This is another one here. I don't know if it's on that called to share page. This is it. one that yes, that's got a there. lot of traction to of a younger man. And when I first do we saw, know who that is? I don't think so. When I first saw that one, I thought, well, that. Yeah, it could be. There's some circumstantial evidence around it. Again, I don't, I don't remember the full story behind this one I'm looking at. But, um, n you know, obviously none of them have been verified. And this current one probably has the best backstory, the most compelling or plausible backstory. Yeah, the provenance of the locket is pretty significant, even though the church would say... We, we don't have any definitive evidence prior to 1992. But, I mean, coming out of the Smith family, through a Smith relative, 
Yeah. No, I want it to be Jill Smith. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, unless, unless somebody can come up with a better picture. Well, and there, there's, <laughs> that, that, I mean, again, I, that's a picture of Joseph Smith III. Okay. And he, obviously he's old. He has a big beard. So it's kind of hard to, he doesn't necessarily look like he's the got man a different nose. Photo. Yeah. He's yeah. got a different nose. Um, that's him, him younger. And to me, he looks more like the traditional kind of what we've thought Joseph Smith looked like based on the death mask. And I think his, no, his nose is different. It is. It is. Anyway, we were trying to wrap it up. And then we, we went into, I said dog days and we went into. Yeah, we had to go thing. on a tangent. So now you know about the dog days. But no, the dog days are significant, aren't they? They, they are. Everything is, there's a lot of significance in things. I, I'm, I'm going to give a, a Kamala Harris take on this there's a lot of significance in the things that are significant and we have to in terms of significance understand that when things that happen are significant we have to take note of those significant happenings <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the maniacal laughing for was that what she did that's what she does <laughs> she's got the worst it's in, Worst timing. She's insane. She's a. It's a. It's in, we're living in a weird simulation, man. Come we, back, Joseph. <laughs> come back. Come visit us, please. Like you're visiting the other guy that Bobby <laughs> talked about. Well, um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Go look at the photo and uh, hey, let, let us know, know what you think. Let us know in the comments what you think. Mindvirus.show. Check out this the podcast page. We'll put a picture up there. And do leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple. Uh, that does help people find us. It, it really does. Because those programs will bury us if there's no ratings. So we have to play the game a little bit. Do we? We don't have to. You want to be l less obscure instead of more obscure? I'm, we might be counter-purposes <laughs> here. <laughs> Some of the things we've said today, I wonder if they ought to stay more obscure. Because... If you want to leave us a one-star rating, you can do that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, please don't do that. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, we appreciate you all, and uh, we're going to let you get back to the dog days. Now back to your regu regularly scheduled programming. <laughs>